Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allah 
وَخَيْرَ الْهَدِي هَدِي سَيِّدِنَا مُحَمَّدٍ صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذنا الله وإياكم منها أجمعين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters One of the most frequently mentioned words in the Quran is the word ayah an ayah is a sign, it is an alama. An ayah is defined as ma yushiru ila ghayrihi, that which points to something other than itself. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions numerous ayat in creation in his book, the Quran. He mentions the ayat in the alternation between night and day. He mentions the ayat in the celestial spheres, and he mentions the ayat on earth, animals, vegetation, and he mentions the ayat within human beings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions as a sign of his power and wisdom, the diversity among human beings the diversity in our forms, in our colors, in our tribes, our ethnicities, our languages. Allah mentions all of these ayat as signs pointing to His power, His omnipotence, His will, and His wisdom. And among these natural differences among human beings that Allah calls His signs, are the differences in our own personalities, the differences we have in our temperaments, our natures, the way we are as individuals. Now the Qur'an mentions this difference among human beings in their dispositions. He says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, قُلْ كُلٌّ يَعْمَلُوا عَلَى شَاكِلَتِي he says, say that every person behaves according to his shakila, his nature, the way in which Allah Ta'ala has created his temperament and way of being. Now we're all different in our colors, our languages, our ethnicities, our every aspect of our being, our personalities. We're so different, yet we're also very similar and in so many ways. And despite our differences as human beings, we all have a single destination. Despite the diversity within us as human beings, we all have a single destination. As Allah Ta'ala tells us, إِنَّ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ الْمُنْتَهَىٰ Indeed, to your Lord is the final destination. And Allah asks us this question, a rhetorical question meant to remind us, for us to ask ourselves, Where are you going? Many of us go through the daily motions of life as a spectator never really knowing where we're going. But Allah asks us, 
فَأَيْنَ تَذْهَبُونَ Where are you going? We are diverse in our likes, in our dislikes. We are diverse in our taste, our habits. We are diverse in our hobbies, in our interests. But every single thing that makes us unique, whether it's taste, hobbies, habits, or interests, all of these things that make us unique have to be subsumed under the guidance of Islam so that they are a part of how we express our purpose of existence in this world. Dear brothers and sisters, what this means is that we do not exist in this world just to eat, just to drink, and sleep, and procreate, and watch TV. We do not exist in this world just to entertain ourselves, just to surf the web and be entertained until we die. We do not exist in this world. Allah did not create us in this world to be foodies, to be sports fans, to be gamers, to be random consumers. There must be more to this life than all of these things. There must be more to this life than work and school and consumption followed by death. There has to be something more, dear brothers and sisters. Something that is more significant than the trappings of the world. There must be a significance to our existence, a meaning, a purpose beyond the mundane, beyond the manufactured desires, and beyond the natural desires that we have as human beings. That purpose, dear brothers and sisters, is mentioned by our Creator. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that purpose. <coughs> he tells us, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ And I have not created mankind or jinn except to worship me. And as Sayyiduna Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma said in his tafsir of this verse, Ya'budun ay ya'rifun. That it means to worship Allah, to recognize Allah, to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This worship, this ibadah mentioned in this verse of the Quran is not just referring to prayer and sitting in the masjid. That's what people tend to think when they hear the word ibadah. The first thing that comes to their mind is the prayer or some other external acts of worship. But there is far more to it than that. It is to orient our life, to orient our very being as human beings to the absolute. And there is nothing absolute except the absolute. Everything in dunya, everything in existence is relative. The only absolute is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And ibadah is about orienting your body, mind, and soul to the absolute, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Directing your life to the eternal and everlasting. And not orienting your life and its purpose around the relative, around that which is fading, around that which is vanishing and finite. كُلُّ مَنْ عَلَيْهَا فَانْ 
Allah says that everything besides Him is ephemeral. It's always vanishing and fading. It is to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not in an intellectual and abstract way, but it is to recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala experientially. As the Hadith Qudsi says, فَإِذَا أَحْبَبْتُهُ كُنْتُ سَمْعَهُ الَّذِي يَسْمَعُ بِهِ وَبَصَرُهُ الَّذِي يُبُصِرُ بِهِ إِلَىٰ آخِرِ الْحَدِيثِ it is to recognize your Lord, to experience the unfolding of Allah's creative power and beauty in every atom of existence. That's what it means. How many Muslims really know their purpose on this earth? We won't even ask about others. How many Muslims truly know their purpose on earth? How many Muslims have the outward trappings of Islam and carry out some of the rituals of Islam, but these things are all secondary aspects to who they are. Their real identity, their real orientation is towards the dunya and their physical appetites. Their real orientation is to the relative, the dunya. These are called Abna'ud Dunya, the children of the lower world. Dear brothers and sisters, how many of us are like that? In this life, we have the active participant or the casual spectator. When you go to a game, you're either playing in the field or you are a spectator. You're watching the game. The opposite of the casual spectator is the active participant. And our forms and levels of participation will differ in this life. But we must all participate by doing the work that orients us to our purpose in existence. Say, everyone behaves according to their nature. Imam al-Qurtubi rahimahullah mentions in his tafsir from Mujahid, the early commentator who says, shakilatihi means tabi'atihi. That means that everyone will behave according to their nature, how they are. So what this implies, dear brothers and sisters, is that when we act in this world, we tend towards the actions that reflect our personality. So as we do the work to express our purpose of existence, we have to express it in a way that will lead us to success. This means we need a roadmap. Dear brothers and sisters, sustained success as a Muslim is not an accident. It is extremely difficult to reach a destination without a roadmap or without a guide. We won't know where we're going if we don't know the path, if we do not have a road map. And that road map is having a program. Without a program, without a system in place to get us to our destination, we will find nothing but futility and stagnation and spiritual sickness. But if we know the map, if we have the program, we will see hope and growth and honesty and good spiritual health. So one of the great challenges for us, dear brothers and sisters, 
is that we often lack a sound system for our spiritual growth and upliftment as Muslims. All of us are surrounded by systems, cars, phones, computers, educational, sports teams. Every system is in place for these instruments or these things to see success. They have systems in place to get them from point A to point B successfully. So if we do not have a system in place, a road map for expressing the purpose of our existence, for getting us to our destination, then we have no one to blame but ourselves. Successful businesses and sports teams and other organizations have systems. They have programming to develop themselves and analyze their strengths and analyze their weaknesses. How can a business apply programming for growth while we ignore our own spiritual programming for spiritual growth as Muslims? Look at a sports team, how much money they pour into training and development and implementing systems to see that team to success. Sports teams will review their games. They will watch their own videos to analyze their games. They have training for on-season. They have training tailor-made for off-season. And they have ways of measuring their, prog their progress through all of these stages. Now we have the same thing in Islam, but are we even aware of them? Are we even taking advantage of them? Or do we live our lives as if we are permanently off-season? If we take the analogy of a sports team, are we as Muslims behaving as if we are permanently off-season? Or permanently benched? Or worse, off the team altogether? If this is Team Islam, if the Ummah is a team, do we behave like we're on a team? Do we behave like we're on the bench? Or do we behave like we don't even have a team whatsoever? فَأَيْنَ تَذْهَبُونَ Where are you going? When a person lives in perpetual off-season, without a program, without a system, without a sense of where they are going, there are many symptoms and signs that will emerge. Among these symptoms is boredom. Boredom is a sign. And one of the early scholars said that boredom is the mistaken belief that things are not changing. Things are always changing. We're always getting closer to our grave. So even if you feel bored and think that nothing is changing, things are changing in as much as you're growing nearer to your final end in this world. Boredom is a sign of stagnation. Because from boredom there comes a desire for things that do not concern one to fill that hole created by boredom. That in turn leads to ghafla, heedlessness and sin. Another sign of being on the bench without a program as a Muslim is escapism. Constant escapism in all of its forms. Each soul is going to choose a different form of escape. For some people it's extreme. For some it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be intercourse. For others it could be food, sports, or entertainment. For others, it can be social media and constant scrolling. But these forms of escapism 
are trying to fill a hole that cannot be filled with anything except Sidqut Tawajjuhi ilallahi subhanahu wa ta'ala Truthfully turning to your Creator. So one has to have a God-centered life. And if they don't, that center will be filled with anything and everything to make up for that deficiency. Another sign that a person is stagnating and lacking a program is a dreaded fear of being alone. When a person dreads to be alone, when they are uncomfortable, when sitting quietly, this is a sign that they are stagnating and in need of a program. This is the person for whom the TV has to be on or the device has to always be near at hand. They cannot sit quietly. They get uncomfortable. Now we all struggle with various aspects of these things to different degrees and at different times. And if we're honest with ourselves, we should acknowledge that whenever our Iman drops, we may swerve ever so off course from our ultimate purpose as human beings. But to address these problems, dear brothers and sisters, we have to look at the root of the issue. We have to work according to our shakila, our nature, but that cannot be an emotional flash in the pan. Consider a person who is out of shape, unhealthy, and they want to get back in shape. They get motivated. They have now a drive to get in shape, but it's all emotional. So the next day, they put on their running shoes. They haven't ran in five years, but they put on their running shoes and they try to do a, a 5K all at once. And they come back and their ankles are hurt, their knees are hurt, they're fatigued, they're winded, they're sore, they've injured their tendons, and then they give up the next day and they never put the shoes back on because they only had an emotional response. What they need to do is have a program. You don't go from sitting on the couch to running a 10K by going straight for 10K. You have to build up over time, build your stamina, build your strength. And likewise, as Muslims, there has to be a program in place for us to see spiritual progress. And this is why we have to consider the answer to the question Allah asks us. Where are you going? And how are you going to get there? What is the map that you're going to use to get you to your destination? What are your unique strengths and skills? What is your unique nature that will contribute to you being on the path? Say everyone will act in accordance with their nature. We ask Allah to direct our nature to fulfilling our purpose in this life, to make us people who recognize our purpose and fulfill our reason for existence. May He take Islam as our way of life and make it our identity and not a side aspect of who we are and inspire us with honesty and accountability and fulfillment of our purpose in this life. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen 
وأفضل الصلاة وأتم التسليم على سيدنا محمد الصادق الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين وبعد. Dear brothers and sisters, for sustained spiritual growth, we need a program. We need a system in place. We need spiritual routines, religious routines. And in Arabic, we call these awrad. Awrad comes from the word wird. And in classical Arabic, the wird is the watering hole. The wird is the oasis. The spiritual routine is that program that you have in your life, that consistent thing that you do in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening that takes you on the path to the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why do we need these spiritual routines? Imam al-Ghazali rahimahullah brilliantly explained why we need spiritual routines in our life. He says that those who reflect deeply will realize the following. Number one, there is no salvation except in meeting Allah Ta'ala with Him pleased with us. That's the only salvation, is attaining the rida of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, His satisfaction and pleasure. Number two, he says, there is no meeting Allah with Him pleased with us except by us dying in a state of love and yearning for Him. For the Prophet ﷺ tells us, مَنْ أَحَبَّ لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ أَحَبُّ اللَّهُ لِقَاءَهُ Whosoever loves to meet Allah, Allah loves to meet that person. So there's no meeting Allah with Him pleased with us except that we have that state. Number three, love and yearning for our Creator are only attained by steadfastness in remembrance of Allah and worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number four, this steadfastness, this istiqama, is only realized by shunning distractions getting rid of the distractions that prevent us from istiqama, which gives us that state of love and yearning. Number five, shunning these distractions is only meaningful when that time and effort is filled instead with spiritual routines. He's telling us that you can't just get rid of the things that distract you, you have to fill that time with things that are pleasing to Allah Ta'ala. We always have a takhriya wa tahriya, getting rid of the bad and replacing it with the good. Now the human being has a tendency to become bored with doing the same thing over and over again. And so it is out of the mercy of our Creator that He gave us a variety of good deeds we can do and multiple paths with which to worship Him. And Allah affirms this in the Qur'an, telling us once again, قُلْ كُلٌّ يَعْمَلُ عَلَى شَاكِلَتِي Every one of you works in accordance with his nature. So there are many ways to fill that time with things that are pleasing to Allah Ta'ala. But some things are more important than others.
So we should talk about the foundation, the wird asli, the primary, most fundamental spiritual routine on which all others are based. The starting point for any spiritual progress as a Muslim. And that is the salat. The salat, the five obligatory prayers, these are the greatest wird, the greatest litany and spiritual routine. One of the qualities of salat is that as an obligation, it never ends. A person may be in a medical condition where they cannot fast Ramadan. They may not have enough money to pay zakat. They may not have the money or the means to make the hajj. So the obligations of these things are dropped. However, no matter your health or your poverty or riches, no matter your state of security or fear, salat is always an obligation no matter what. And that obligation remains until death. And we have to not just establish it, but we have to guard it. Because it is the lifetime's work. It is al-wird al-asli, the primary foundational spiritual routine in the life of a Muslim. Allah tells us not only to establish it, aqimu salat but He also says, حَافِظُوا عَلَى الصَّلَوَاتِ وَالصَّلَاتِ الْوُسْطَى وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ He tells us to safeguard it, to protect it, to preserve it, to look after it, telling us, guard the salawat, and the middlemost one in particular, and stand devoutly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Salat is a spiritual exercise that we offer whether we feel like it or not. It's an obligation. But when it is done with knowledge and presence of heart, understanding the meanings of the du'as that we say and the significance of the postures, it is transformative. And the one who really establishes the prayer will be different from the one who does not establish the prayer at all or the one who establishes it only externally for whom it's just a routine. We all struggle with this. And that struggle will never end until the day we die. But we have to work to establishing it. And we all commit sins even though we pray. We commit sins intentionally and unintentionally. But Allah Ta'ala has given us through the salat the means to remove the effects of those sins. As Rasulullah said, in the beautiful example he gave to the companions, he said, consider if one of you had a river by his door in which he bathed five times a day, would any filth remain on him? They said, no, Ya Rasulullah. He said, likewise, Allah wipes away the sins with the five daily prayers. Now even if we establish the, our prayers, even if we establish them inwardly and outwardly, we never forget that we are in the dunya. And the dunya is ephemeral. The dunya is an abode of tests and trials. So no matter how spiritually elevated we are through the salat, we're still going to face problems in this world. We're still going to face tests and trials. And Allah tells us, that it is through seeking assistance in sabr and salat that we have a way of being delivered from those trials. 
Allah Ta'ala tells us, addressing us with the title of Iman. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, istainu bisabari wa salat, inna allaha ma'a sabirin. O you who believe, seek help through steadfastness and through prayer. Indeed, Allah is with the patient. Now for a person who is lacking in spiritual routines, the one who lacks a program, who is perhaps drifting away from their actual purpose in creation, they might say, I feel unmoved when I pray. They might say that when I pray, I don't really feel any different. They might feel that the prayer is not that important because when they pray, they don't feel any transformation whatsoever. And the answer to this objection is to say that that feeling might be true. But it's not because the salat is lacking power. It's because the person is still very weak. Because salat is a weapon. As the Prophet ﷺ said, the dua is the silah al-mu'min, is the weapon of the believer. But a weapon is only as strong as the hand that wields it. A sword is only as strong as the hand that wields it. Suppose you want to get stronger at wielding a sword. Do you think you're going to get stronger just by reading books about swordsmanship? Or just talking about swordsmanship? No. The only way to get stronger at swordsmanship is to continue practicing swordsmanship. So that over time, your hands and wrists become stronger. So for the person who is weak in their hands and wrists, and struggling to hold the sword, the answer is not to put the sword down. The answer is to pick it up again and again and again until their hands and wrists are strong enough to wield it expertly. Likewise, for the person who says, I feel unmoved when I pray, I don't feel any different. The answer is not to give up the prayer. The answer is to keep doing it. Even if you establish prayer for 100 years, and you don't feel anything, you establish the obligation of Allah upon you. And that's what Allah asks of you. And as you do that over time, you will be strengthened. You will have a better understanding. This is the most fundamental routine, dear brothers and sisters. If this is not in place, there is absolutely no spiritual progress. There's no getting better as a Muslim if the prayer is neglected or abandoned whatsoever. Progress starts right there. And so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those who establish the prayer as our wird asli, our primary routine. We ask Allah to make us of those who are positively changed through the prayers beyond routine movements. And we ask Allah to give us the prayer as a means of drawing near to Him and that we find in the salat an inner power and strength that preserves us and protects us from evil. And we ask Allah to always enable us to rush to the prayer in times of difficulty and need. As Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu anha said that when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was ever concerned about a matter, something serious, 
he would rush to the salat as his first response. May Allah give us that kind of attitude and state and take us from the distractions that keep us off the path in our purpose and put us on the path and awaken us a sense of purpose. Ameen. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana baqina adab al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulika al-nabiyyir umiyu ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallima tasliman kathira bi qadri azamati thatika fi kulli waqtin wahin. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين وقوموا إلى صلاتكم يرحمكم الله